That's fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong with using an old-fashioned Bible. Amen. Every once in a while. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read from Hebrews 12, and we're going to read from 2 Kings chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so many, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. How many know that sin, however small, can easily beset you? Amen. And put you on a wrong path from what God intended. It don't have to be anything big. It can start out small, but sin will beset you. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Key verse, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, endured. Everybody say endured. Endured, endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Now, 2 Kings chapter 4, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 18. I want you to, if you've got your Bible or you're reading it in your phone, leave it open to this verse of Scripture. Verse 18 of 2 Kings chapter 4. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. He said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. Skip down to verse 32. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro. You know how you pace sometimes when you pray? That's what I do anyway. He's just walking to and fro. And went up and stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times. How many know when you sneeze, sometimes you sneeze seven times? This brother right here does. Amen. Seven and ten times sometimes. Hallelujah. And the child after that opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, call this Shuamite. And the Shuamite is the woman. And so he called her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. This is an interesting story. I preached on this five or six months ago, but I'm still just amazed by the faith that's demonstrated by this family. And what we're talking about today is enduring faith. How many already has your Christmas trees and everything put up? Thank God for you. Because we have not. We have everything Christmas still strode throughout our house. And at some point, Sister Kirsten will turn to Brother Ryan and she'll say, it's time to get to work. And we'll put up all of that. Does anybody, uh, anybody just feel like you spent so much money during Christmas? That's okay to say. You just, every year it seems like, my goodness. Sometimes it seems like it's more. So I, I, I'm assuming that nobody in here got richer over the holidays in any way, right? Well, I, I want you to know that there is nothing to be depressed about in whatsoever state that you are in when you're living for God. You can have a lot of money. You can have not very much money. We know from Scripture that God would bless some with more and some with less. But in whatever state they were in, they were blessed by God to serve him. Job was one of the richest men of the area, and he was blessed of God. 
And there come a day when pretty much everything that he had was gone. And still, he said, I'm blessed of God. There's some that are poor, some standing at the gate. And they didn't have anything. They, what they did have was affliction. But God healed them. They didn't have a whole bunch of money or a whole lot. But they were close to God and they were blessed. And so what I'm telling you today is, if you live for God, sometimes you've got to have some enduring faith through all of that. But you're still blessed. You're still blessed. I wonder if there's anybody in the room that can say that there's been a time where my family's been hurting, but we've still been blessed. That's right. There's been a time where we wasn't doing real great, but we were still blessed. Yes, Lord. And God carried us through it. Amen. Everyone, they say, can be bought for a price. That's the same. However, there was somebody named Turner that could not be bought by a price. At least his price was going to have to be a lot more than $4.3 million. That is how much money he turned down to hang on what he valued to more than cash. A family that was in the faith. In the 1930s, in the era of the Great Depression, anyone hearing word that they were heir to a multi-million dollar legacy was going to jump at the chance. Now, you're not living in the Great Depression today, but you'd probably jump at the chance for $4.3 million. But in the Great Depression, oh, the more they would. Now, Turner and his wife, Flora, took that matter to prayer. An inheritance this great was coming down to them. And they decided instead of, yeah, let's take it, they decided let's pray about it. And so they began to pray. Receiving this inheritance was all contingent on them uprooting their family and moving to England. And in prayer, though they needed a financial boost because they had many children, they searched first to see if there was some kind of church that believed what they believed in the area in England that they would have to move to. And they did not want to raise a family without having them in an apostolic church. And upon their search, they were unsuccessful. And rather than risk taking all of their kids that would have many more descendants out of the church just to inherit four and a half million dollars, they declined the offer. But there's no need to pity them because this is a true story. Multiple generations later, Turner and Flora Gleason's 150 descendants, almost every single one of them are in the truth today. Praise God. As a matter of fact, from this family have flown teachers, preachers, Bible college presidents, district superintendents, missionaries, evangelists, faithful believers, including one fellow by the name of Stan Gleason, the assistant general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. A hundred and fifty descendants in the truth that would not have been if they'd have been holding four and a half million dollars. Is that worth four and a half million dollars to have that many descendants in the truth? I guarantee you it's worth having that many descendants in the truth. Yes, amen. I hope to heaven, the Lord Terry's is coming, that we've got that many descendants in our family amen. that's in the truth. Yes. Because you can't put a price on that. No. Let me ask you today, how thankful are you that you alone, one person, are in the truth? You're not deceived today. You're living in the truth. Somebody said amen. amen. You're living in truth. Amen. And that can be valued. What is better than being a Great Depression era tycoon? Living in truth and having a family that's in truth. That's faithful. 
That's faithful right there. Turning down something that seems great like a blessing from God. Hey, here's a newsflash. Not everything that seems great is necessarily a blessing from God. Amen. I know some family members, my family members, that have more money than I'll probably ever see. But they are living in such a way of depression and unhappiness and not in truth. You could not imagine. Not everything that seems like a blessing, maybe it's a blessing of sort, is a blessing from God. Amen. Matter of fact, it could quite possibly bring you down. Clearly, faith is needed at all times during our walk with God because Hebrews 11 and 6 says we cannot please God without having faith. But faith that lasts, you know, anybody can have faith. Honestly, let, let's, let's be real here. If we go out in the town square of Jonesboro today and God performs a healing in the middle of the street, all of a sudden, everybody around that square has faith. Okay? It's momentary faith. That's right. Anybody can grab and latch on to that. Because really all it takes is God. But I'm talking about lasting faith. Lasting faith takes effort. I want you to hear this today. This is very important. If our faith is only operative in good times, then we have little hope of long-term spiritual survival. Amen. We need to absorb that today. Yes, if our faith is only operative in the good times, then we have little hope of long-term spiritual survival. At some point, it's going to run out. Our faith has to stretch beyond a miracle that we see. Our faith has to stretch beyond receiving the Holy Ghost one day. That amount of faith that's built. And it's great. Understand me. At that moment, your faith is great. It's got to last beyond that. It's got to be something that's cultivated because that moment is great but at some point at some point tragedy is going to strike at some point someone around you is going to do evil at some point the going is going to get a little tough amen the prophet jeremiah addressed this truth if thou hast run with the footmen and they have wearied thee then how canst thou contend with the horses and if in the land of peace Wherein thou treadest, they weary thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? If faith can't last in the good times, then it certainly will fail us when we need God the most and when we need our faith the most. Amen. And faith that endures has got to be the intention of the man who is focused on eternity. It's got to be the focus because I'm, I'm going to defeat real quick. I've got a scripture that defeats the idea of once saved, always saved. There's no question after I read this scripture. But I want you to pay attention to what it's saying. This is Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22. It says, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Not he that in a moment had a spring of faith. Okay? Now, granted, you, I'm not trying to displace doctrine today. If you repent, you receive the Holy Ghost, you're baptized. In Jesus' name, this is the plan of salvation that God has set forth. But this scripture right here plainly says that that one moment is not all it's going to take. And you can go about your merry way and do whatever you want in life. You've got to endure to the end. Amen. Amen. And we need to maintain this truth. Because I'm going to tell you from experience... There's a lot of young people today that have it in their mind and they've been set into it from false doctrine in our world that if you just call on God and if you sign a card, if you recite a simple sinner's prayer, that one moment ties up your salvation no matter what you do for the rest of your life. I'm telling you from the truth of the word, that is false. Amen. You can displease God beyond your salvation. And he's the ultimate judge. Yes, he is. 
And his scripture says today that he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Not he who had an experience 50 years ago that they expect to carry them through those 50 years till judgment day. It's not going to happen. You've got to have enduring faith. You've got to have a cultivated relationship with God. Why in the world would the Lord want one experience with you to get you into heaven? He wants a lifetime of experiences with you. That's what he desires. You've got to endure to the end. This Shunammite woman and her husband, it, it's so interesting the faith that they demonstrate. God's prophets to Israel, prophets were highly esteemed in the Old Testament. They were often itinerant in their ministry. They would travel all around and wherever God needed them. And while they may have had a home city from which that they traveled, God's mission frequently caused them to traverse all over and have to stay in different places. And Elisha was one such man. He had to travel very much and he would have to stay in different places. And he, in his journeys, would regu regularly, they would take him to the, the city of Shunem. And, and this, this is where this family is from, a small village, and it belonged to the tribe of Issachar. And, and in this place resided this couple who they had a genuine love for God and the things of God and his kingdom. And they decided that Elijah needed a place to utilize as his own when he passed through town. The man of God needed a place to stay, essentially. And they recognized this. And so they set about a construction process. We're going to make a, a place for the man of God to stay. And the Bible says that they built a little chamber on the wall of their house and they furnished it for Elisha's comfort. And it became the prophet's practice. He would turn into their home each time that he came through. This would be the place that he would stay. She wanted to take care of the prophet. And the, the idea of, of all of this came from the heart of this unnamed woman. The Bible does not give us her name. And she conveyed her desire to her husband. And so in today's uh, dialogue, you might say that she went up to her husband. She said, Honey, I really feel like we need to bless the man of God. And so why don't we add on an addition to our house? And they started work on it. And it stemmed simply from her desire to care for God's messenger in their life. Such a desire is found in those who love and honor the Lord. They love the things of the Lord. Amen. You love God, you ought to love his work. Amen. You love God. You ought to love songs about God. Yes, you love God. You ought to love His commandments. Yes. Amen. And all of these things that come with it. Anyone who professes a loyalty to God has also got to have a seated desire to bless God, His messengers, and the things of God. Amen. Now, no, preachers and pastors are not some special category of Christians who are like royalty or something of that nature has nothing to do with that. But I wonder if there's anybody in the room who when you were a child and you were found running in the house of God that somebody picked you up and spat at you. Why did they do that? Because this is the house of God. You don't do that. Amen. Amen. I know from experience. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because young men like to jump and catapult off of tall objects. I was one such young man. But if I were to do that in church, my jaw would be displaced by the time I got home. <laughs> and so it's a respect for the house of God, for yes. the things of God, and for the man of God Amen. that has been placed in our lives, this is what this woman had. She had that desire to bless God. And so they built this place. And she wanted him to stay with them when he came to town. And this woman, the Bible says, constrained him to eat bread. Constrained. So I'm going to express to you what I see happening 
in this word constraint, okay? Brother March, can you help me out? I'm not going to rough you up. You're a lot bigger guy than me, okay? So, so <clears throat> if, if this door is the Shunammite woman's house and the, the prophet, you, you're the prophet today, praise God. You, you st stand over by that podium right there. And, and uh, this is her house, and you're walking along this way. You're the problem. You're going about your business, right? And you've got, you've got a mission God has given you. And this woman comes up to him, and she constrains him. She didn't, she didn't stop and say, sir, would you like to come in to the room that we have for you and eat bread? No, 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 no. She constrained him to come into the house because she understood the vessel that God had brought. And not just that this was a man that needed to eat bread, but that if a man that was a God that carried a message of God were to come into her house, there might just be a miracle take place. Amen. And so she constrained him. Thank you, Brother March. She did not just welcome him and give him the option. You're going to make your way into my house today because I need a touch from God. Praise God. Amen. And I feel like perhaps sometimes... Amen. You forgive me here today. I feel like sometimes the presence of God is walking by and, and often we'll sit by and the door to our house is right here that we can open up and constrain the spirit in to do something. But we give it the option. Right. If you want to do something, well, I'm sitting here ready and waiting if you want to do it. But no, no, no. A Shunammite woman says, I'm going to constrain you. You're going to make your way into my house today and do something in my life. Amen. Amen. You know what? Enduring faith, what enduring faith is, is I'm going to worship no matter what's going on in service. Yes, amen. I'm going to worship no matter what's happened during my week. Because I'm going to constrain the presence of God into my life. Praise God. Not going to give it the option. I need a touch. Amen. You know, there's a lot of people standing by with a woman with the issue of blood was right there. And many, many of them could probably have seen a miracle in their life, but they did not touch him. That's right. Oh, they were within arm's length. They were within arm's reach, for sure. But there was one woman that touched him. How many times... Do we leave the house of God that we can really, really say, I touched him? Come on. Somebody help me out this morning. Amen. I feel this in the Holy Ghost. How many times can we say, we left the house of God and we weren't just in his presence. We reached out and touched him. Yes, this is what God wants. Yes. Amen. And a person of enduring faith is not just present when the Lord moves. They're reaching out for a touch. What can take place? What might happen just by reaching out and touch, constraining the presence of the Lord, the symbolic presence, the word of the Lord, probably symbolic of the word of the Lord into my home. Amen. She constrained him to come to her home. One can envision her just running to meet him and drawing him into her home. She was unmoved by what others thought. She was desperate for a visit from the prophet. People probably could have said, why would she reach out and pull the prophet into her house? Why would she do that? It's a sacred man of God. That's, that's somebody who carries such a message with him. She's embarrassing her family. That did not matter to her. She needed a touch from God. And I want to tell you today, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks, what they observe you doing. If you really want God to come into your life and do something on a daily basis, you'll show it without worrying about what they think. Amen. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about your worship, your praise, how you lift yes. God up. None of that matters. you got to break out of that. Yes. Amen. Amen. Brother, Brother Myron Wyman Jr. preached a message at Holiday Youth Convention. And the, the message, I think, was titled Box Breakers, or I Am a Box Breaker. Yeah. And the whole idea of this sermon was that the woman who would uh, come in with the alabaster box, she broke it over his head. Mm -hmm. 
one of the Gospels says. Now, this was all symbolical worship, right? This is what she was doing. It was, it was worship before the Lord. People thought she was crazy. Get this woman out of here. And she could have opened the top of the box and poured it on him. But this is the thing about that. What you can open, you can close. That's right. And what she did, she broke it in such a way there was no closing it ever again. Amen. The worship is going to have to be broken before God. I feel this morning like God is calling us into a higher praise and worship. Yes, Lord. We don't talk about this a whole lot, but I, I really feel I, I really feel this. God wants us to move past just the ordinary in our worship. Amen. Now, you want something different to happen. You want to see God move in a certain way. We can't stay the same way. You know, in, in Scripture, when something was desperately needed to take place or happen, many times we find them fasting. And that's different from what you do daily, which is eat. It gets the attention of God all of a sudden. It draws nearer to God. And it's the same thing with praise. At some point, we've got to lose our pride, folks. Amen. We've got to lose our pride. It's not about how extravagant or graceful I look in worshiping God. It's all about Him. Yes, and showing my endless devotion to Him in my worship, in my prayer, in all that I do. She was unmoved by what anybody else would think. And this account is particularly instructive when somebody considers that Elisha's name means God is salvation. Though this lady was a great woman, she did not in any fashion sit idly by in some expectation that God is salvation would come to see her. She's going to make sure that it happens. Salvation was constrained into the house. And we've got to be driven by a passionate desire to commune with God. Amen. When we come into the house of God, we have to, in some way, speak to, before anybody cheerleads us into it from the pulpit, there has to be some demonstration of desire with God. I want to get closer to you, Lord. Amen. I want to find myself in the Holy of Holies in this service, God. In some way, I want to get there and let him know, are we willing to ensure that if God is salvation, abide in any, if, he, if he will abide in anyone's home, that it will be ours too. The Shunammite woman, the Bible says, was unable to have a child. She was unable to. And because of that longing, having to deal with childness, childlessness in her life was a particularly painful trial. And she had known of this sting for years. And the ache of her soul was that she would have a child. And she desperately wanted to know that joy. And her faith, even through all of that, even through every bit of that, remained in God. She had prayed about it. She had trusted God for it. It had not yet happened, but she was still faithful. Now, when we pray... The answer doesn't always come like that. But we've got to maintain our faith because there comes a day when the ticket on our prayer adds up. Amen. And God recognizes that. And he comes in and does a miracle. She undoubtedly poured out her heart's desire to God regularly through the years. And... With open arms, she embraced the opportunity to do God's work by caring for his messenger. She could have lashed out at the man of God and said, how come I've prayed for all these years for this one thing and it still has not happened? She could have questioned him. He is the voice of God. Maybe God would give an answer to that. She could have done that, but instead she continued to believe on God and she cared for the man of God anyway. And she stayed faithful, though her desires were not yet rewarded. 
And the prophet then asked out of the blue what it is that she desired. She didn't come to him with it. Just out of the blue, the prophet asks her, what is it that you desire? It's amazing how when we remain faithful in small things that God opens up an opportunity for a miracle that we did not even ask for. Amen. I'm talking about small things. Let me present to you a small challenge right now. And you just, this is some homework, I guess. You just see if God doesn't bless. You start doing a Bible reading program and remain faithful in it for a month, for two and three and four a year, and see what God does not do. Amen. Small things. 15 to 30 minutes a day. Small time in your day. And see if God does not do something from that. Because all that I can see in my life from people who have been faithful in the small things is that God has blessed them with big things. Yes. That's all that I see. Yes. Amen. Giving. Prayerfulness. Faithfulness. All of these things God blesses greatly for with interest. Amen. And in response to all her generosity, the prophet asks, what is it that you want? What is it that you need that you would constrain me into this house? Amen. What is it that you need? And in that moment, she did not choose to reveal to the prophet her deepest desire instantly. And perhaps she considered that a sacred conversation that she just wanted to hold with God alone. And while there's merit to that perspective that's in our lives, still in general, we should never be ashamed or embarrassed to tell God what is it we desire. Because the scripture says in Philippians chapter 4, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. Right. Let God know what you want. What your desire is. He's asking you to. And clearly God already knows our hearts. There's no question about that. And he doesn't need us. He, he doesn't need us to express our desires. So he can finally become aware of them. Because he didn't have this knowledge before. He wants us to bring them to him. He wants to go to him. For our needs. And if we did not believe in God. We would not continue to ask. To seek. To knock and we present our requests to him. And so when the Shunammite woman did not express any specific request to him, Elisha asked his servant Gehazi what might be done for her. And he explained her condition. And accordingly, Elisha summoned her again and he spoke with prophetic authority. He said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. She never said a word about it to the prophet. Never came out of her mouth. But oh, the blessing that God gives in small things. Amen. Faithfulness throughout the trials. You know, it is so easy to give everything to God when things are going good. And maybe you, you, you've seen people that it's sort of the opposite. When they really need something from God, boy, they'll, I mean, they'll be faithful for a month in everything that they do. But once they get it, they're gone. Yeah. And then for some of us, it's on the good times. Thank you, Lord. Boy, you shout and cut a rug and they got to hold you down in the middle of church. But then when things get to going bad, it's just like, man, you know, I, I just don't know if I can bring myself to these small things in God. I think personally that God's looking for the person that in the middle of all of it is faithful. Amen. Faithful. Things going on, craziness in the church craziness in the world, other people doing what that they want. They're faithful and they're a rock and they don't change and they still worship, they still give, they still pray and God still blesses yes. in the middle of all of it. And in all of this, I'm reminded of what Brother Shelton and Sister Shelton have told their kids. Stay with the ship. The waters get tough 
and it's shaking the ship and things are people are jumping ship, you stay with the ship. Amen. Because it's still going to a destination. Right. You get off and get on somebody else's boat, there's no telling where you'll go. But we have a, a firm idea of where we're going on this thing. Amen. So don't jump ship. I've got friends that have jumped ship. Thinking that they were going to find a more extravagant boat to a more extravagant place with better people. And they have made a train wreck of their lives. Yes. And you can get lost in all that that's going on around you in the waters. In the middle of an altar, just this past week, a man heavily used in the prophetic came up to me. And I was praying for people, young people. He came up to me and, and, and he constrained me, Brother March. <laughs> He grabbed my arm. And, you know, you're, you're praying in an altar with a whole bunch of young people. Somebody grabs your arm. It startles you, you know, because he was forceful with me. He's, I mean, it's a seasoned man of God that I have all respect in the world for. And he pulled me about this close to his face. And I thought, oh, God, I don't know what's coming next. <clears throat> and he looked me directly in the eye. And he said, don't get lost in the shuffle. The craziness that's going on in our world, the craziness that sometimes even goes on in the church that you observe, don't get lost in all that. You be who you're supposed to be and be faithful in it. Dream big and let God work and you're going to see the blessings of the Lord. And so today, in a chaotic world, I know, I know somebody, you, you, maybe you don't even read news, but you see what's going on in our world today. In all that chaos, what is the response to this? What is the correct response of people trying to decide if they want to condemn what's going on or saying, wow, that's awesome. What, what the real response is, I'm going to be a disciple and I'm going to live for God and I'm going to have enduring faith. Amen. And I'm going to see the revival that He intends in the end times. Amen. Because, folks, we're in the end times. Yes, we are. Everything that I see is pointing to a like a powder keg in the Middle East, which is all scriptural. It's all scriptural. Yes. And I think we are so close to what may be the coming of the Lord. It's amazing, the field that's in the air. But you know what comes with all that? It, it shouldn't be fear. It shouldn't be I'm scared of what may come next or what may happen. What ought to be is I'm excited about the revival that's promised in Scripture. If we believe that this is a year of fulfillment, some of that fulfillment is going to be the greatest revival that we have ever seen. That's right. And some people say, well, I wonder if it'll be like, you know, the day of Pentecost. Or I wonder if it'll be like Azusa Street. It's not going to be anywhere close to that. It's going to be so far beyond that. Amen. They're going to wish they were here. Yes. That was the start and the beginning. And that's why we look fondly upon that. But we don't desire for that. We desire for what's ahead, which is so yes. much more Thank you, Jesus. that God has planned. Amen. And so we constrain His presence to come in. Amen. And it's fascinating to note that when this direct word from God came to her from the prophet, her faith wavered for perhaps the first time. And her response was not, thank you, prophet, I receive your word. It was nothing like that. What she said instead actually gave voice to her doubt. And she said, nay, my Lord, thou man of God, do not lie, do not lie unto thine handmaid. Don't lie to me. We see kind of the falter of her faith for a moment. But experience teaches us that quite often the moment of our faith's greatest trial is on the verge when something's about to happen. Amen. So what I'm telling you today is in the midst of chaos, in the midst of whatever's going on in your life that seems like a storm, you better get ready. Amen. You better get ready for what's coming. You might as well prepare the baskets for the bread that's getting ready to rain now. Because it's all in God's plan. And God honored her enduring faith 
by giving her a son. The promised child arrived because of her resilient faith over the years. Thankfully, God responds more to faith that ex exhibits endurance more than just excitement. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, it's easy to get excited about something. You know, we have a big event here at the church. People that don't know a thing about God might get excited about that, you know. But I'm talking about enduring faith. Something that's a deep faith. It's far easier to have a faith moment on a powerful Sunday morning than to have a faith life on a mediocre Monday. Right. Anybody have a mediocre Monday before? Oh, yeah. Come on, you, you, you fly out of the presence of God and the dust are going everywhere and the windows of heaven are you know open and it's just pouring down on you like a torrential rain. And then you walk out of that on Monday morning and you walk into a workspace that, for lack of a better term, isn't holy. Or you're around people and things are taking place that don't exactly boost your faith. Oh, it's hard to have enduring faith in that time. But that's what God desires. That's what He desires. Amen. And so they built this room. They built this room. For the expectancy of the day when the prophet would come and stay in. And then one day he comes by. And there's the young man that's dead. He's passed away. And you know what the scripture actually said? I'm going to go back and read it. If you've got that scripture text in front of you. It said, and when Elisha was come into the house, behold... The child was dead and laid upon his bed. Not the child's bed. The prophet's bed. That a man and woman built a long time ago. That they did not even realize that that room would house the miracle. That God intended for their family. When you make a room. For the things of God. You're making room for a miracle. Amen. We make room for a lot of things in our lives. We make room for a lot of things. We make room. And make sure. That we've got time for the news program every day. Or for our daily newspaper reading or magazine article. We make room for these things. We make room for the things that we love. But I wonder today if we intentionally made room for the things of God what we might be laying up because of that. What miracle might take place. We didn't know we were doing it. But we were building the house for our miracle. We didn't know we were doing it. But we were giving God an opportunity to save the life of our child. It was hard work. And the sun was hot when we built it. But we didn't know we would be giving God an opportunity to show His glory in our household. Making room for a miracle. I wonder how we can make room for a miracle today. The way we will not only survive times of adversity like what we find ourselves in today, is only if we've got faith that's going to endure past it. Your faith has got to be stronger than your circumstance. You hear me this morning? Faith has to be stronger than your circumstance. We can't allow our trust and confidence in God to be determined 
by the particular path we're walking on, on on that day. Because this is really important today. What happens in this realm is not really what matters. What happens in this realm don't matter that much. So it's important. God watches your actions. But what happens in His realm changes everything. And that's why when you connect to that realm in prayer, you're doing the most powerful thing that any human being can do. Just pray. You connected to a more important realm. For what is this kind of faith reading us for? The scripture said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. That small moment that you've dealt with so much. Be faithful. Don't jump ship. Because it's just a moment. And the faith in all of it is going to work it for us an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Amen. We celebrate those in military. And I read something this week that just really shook me a little bit. We know the sting of prayer that appears to be unanswered sometimes. Come on, how, about, how about just a signifying of hands if you've ever prayed and it didn't happen immediately? I mean, everybody's experienced that. We know the sting that that sometimes brings when it hasn't happened yet. And we face the challenge of remaining faithful no matter what. And the story that James Dobson shared, it says this, one of the most tragic events of the Reagan presidency was the Sunday morning terrorist bombing of the Marine barracks in Beirut. Does anybody remember when that happened? I don't. <laughs> but does anybody remember that? They were bombed our soldiers, and hundreds of Americans were killed as they slept. Didn't even know it was happening. And days survivors would dig people out. A few days after that tragedy, a particular story, a particular story surfaced. Marine Corps Commandant Paul X. Kelly visited some of the wounded survivors there in Frankfurt, Germany Hospital. And among them was Corporal Jeffrey Lee Nashton, severely wounded in the incident. Nashton, it was said, had so many tubes running in and out of his body that a witness said he looked more like a machine than a man. Yet he survived. And as Commandant Kelly approached Nashton, struggling to move and racked with pain, he motioned for a piece of paper and a pen. And he wrote a note and passed it back to the commandant. And on that slip of paper were two words. Semper Fi. And that was the Latin motto that the Marines have. And Semper Fi means forever faithful. The man sits with enough tubes going into his body to look more like a machine than a man. But he says, I'll be forever faithful. I wonder if there's some Christians, some Pentecostal apostolics that can say that even when, even when it seems like everything's falling apart, I can be the one that says, Lord, I'm going to be forever faithful. I'm going to be forever faithful. I'm not going to change. And I'm going to stay with the ship no matter the storm. And when our battle is over and our commander receives us one day, may we have that same testimony through all of the wounds and the scars. Anybody had some wounds and scars in your life? You've got some things you can point back to and say, I went through it in that. Through all of that, when we finished our race, may we be able to put out an enduring shout that says, I was forever faithful. Amen. And I will be forever faithful. 
even to my forever home. I'll be forever faithful. And I'll make room for all the things of God. When the prophet comes by, when I have a chance to experience a word, I'm not just going to let it walk by, but I'll constrain it into my life. I feel like today that sometimes we apostolics, we, you know, we're apostolic Pentecostal, we're the folks that everybody thinks is crazy. Until <laughs> they get to know us. We're not completely nuts, we're just nuts about Jesus. The folks that have that type of reputation in the world sometimes, we ought to be bold in our faith. Amen. We ought to have some boldness in our faith, some gumption about our faith. Amen. And demonstrate that. We ought to constrain. When everybody else in the Christian world is not constraining for the presence of God, the Pentecostals are constraining for the presence of God beyond all other things. Let's stand this morning. And we're going to take some time to constrain the presence of God in this house. Amen. We're going to have an opportunity here in just a minute when the word of the Lord is going to go forth. We're going to have an opportunity just in a minute when the presence of God may hit this room. And I want to have a constraining spirit. What a tragedy it is for somebody to let the presence of God walk by and go untouched. Amen. Amen. Why don't we let God right now know that we're going to constrain Him into the house of our life. Would you help me do that right now? Come on, call on Him right now. Be bold. Be bold. Lord, we constrain.